3: Hi everyone, I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home.
1: But this season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there.
3: From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways this season of loose units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in australian true crime history
1: welcome to loose units the shadow files hello and welcome to loose units the shadow files i'm paul verhoeven and every week my dad john verhoeven sits with me and we talk through some of Australia's most notorious true crime cases. But this week, Dad has come to me with a story of his own that he wants to talk about. Now, today we're talking about Bella Wright. Now she was 21 years old and something very terrible happened to her. This story, Dad, I think it's fair to say that it captivated you so much so that while I was in Mumbai this week, you started messaging me about this story and said we should be talking about this case. Now, typically speaking, our stories on The Shadow Files take place in Australia, but given that Australia is a colony of England, I know it's a stretch, but I think it is worth us exploring this story. So what is it about this story that you think makes it worthy of appearing on The Shadow Files?
3: Mm. Well, <clears throat> back in, um, it's just at the end of the of World War One, and the... The police constabulary back then were really concerned about returning soldiers coming back from Europe... Yes. ..who would be incredibly traumatised. And the police were just concerned that men would would have, sort of because they'd been dealing with the horrors of war, would then come back and take their violence out Mm -hmm. on their families... And there was a spate of crimes in England at the time, directly after World War One, and it was noted that the robberies were of an extreme violent nature. And the police um, at the time attributed this mm-hmm. to the the terrible horrors of war. And this particular case that happened on the evening of July the 5th, 1919 is a story about a 21-year-old woman by the name of Bella Wright. Now, mm-hmm. this particular case, it they're saying, from a historic perspective, and there have been some eminent legal minds that even up until this very minute in time have been questioning, you know, what actually happened. Because they say that it's unsolved even though a man, he was tried for the murder but he was acquitted and there are many theories as to why he was acquitted. But what one needs to do when go, when one goes back a hundred years or so, you need to look at the time in history, and it was very, very much a class structure. You know, the old story about upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, I mean, this seemed to me more a case of
1: she was extremely progressive for her time and. Mm. I'm curious as to whether that played into it at all. But it, this took place in a village in England called Galby. Is mm. that correct? Correct. And, yeah, in Leicestershire. Uh, it's seven miles east of Leicester. And, mm. I mean, right now, um, it really doesn't have that many people. According to the 2001 census, there was a population there of
3: 131. We are talking a small Mm. small village Mm, tiny tiny Mm. and i i can really relate to those villages listeners because i lived in a tiny village in england when i was 10 years of age for for one year
1: now is this oh god is this one of the remember you we did the my dad wrote a porno episode and Mm. you wrote some fiction was that set Mm. in this area okay let's well then let's just change the subject then so Mm. Okay, you, you're saying it's a class thing. At this point. I, I'm.
3: I'm just that's That is a theory because, as we get into this particular case, Paul, it was of the time an incredibly well-reported case, and it became known as the Green Bicycle Murder because the it was ostensibly. Um, Sort of taken into consideration on the evening and by various witness accounts that the person of interest had been riding a green bicycle and it had very unusual handlebars. And this case is, I feel as though it's, um, I've really got my teeth into it. I've been doing a lot of research, I've been looking at where Bella was found. I've been looking at the relationship between the village and the city of Leicester, which I've been mm-hmm. to many times. Yeah. yeah. But also the fact that this particular bike, which we'll get to a little bit later in the story, was actually found 7 months later in a river. Okay. So what I've done is I've looked at all the, you know, the distances between you know the the crime. Uh, we know it's a crime. That that we are sure of. Okay. Because on that evening, now we also need to remember that, and for us, in particularly in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere, that in the Northern Hemisphere, and this happened in summer. One of the things about summer in England is that the sun remains, you know, it it, it it's light until incredibly late at night so it's not unusual to be out in broad daylight and you know i remember when i lived in england it was it was light at nine or ten o'clock at night in summer Mm -hmm. it's not like that in australia no so to set the scene this young girl young woman and i've seen photographs of her she was going to visit an uncle and she set about on her bike. She's heading towards the uncle's house. She develops, she or her bike develops a, a problem. Yep. One of the wheels became loose. And she's bending over. And this guy, the, the gentleman that becomes the, the suspect and who is ultimately charged... He sees her and he approaches her and she says to him, you know, do you have a spanner? To which he says no, but he says, look, I'll I'll walk with you. And he walks with her. He escorts her to her uncle's house. He keeps a very low profile from quite a distance. The uncle later, when he's interviewed by the police, mm-hmm. said that he felt very, very uncomfortable and uneasy by the the way this particular gentleman that he did not know conducted himself, the way he stood, his demeanour. Now, when Bella leaves the uncle's place, the uncle can see that this gentleman is kind of waiting. And I've thought about that particular evening and how I would be if I'd just sort of, you know, bumped into some girl and offered to... I guess, escort her to make her feel safe. She says, look, I'm going to my uncle's. And he, if that had been me or most guys, I imagine you'd feel a bit weird. You'd be thinking, what does the uncle think of me? There may be nothing sinister. And then Bella comes back. And at that point, the uncle recalls having heard this guy say to his niece, oh, um, you took quite a while, didn't you? And that sort of added to the the sort of mystery of, you know, the scenario we're faced with. And they rode for a little while. And the story is that the gentleman concerned says, when they reached sort of a crossroad, Mm -hmm. that he went one way, she went the other. Three hours later, a farmer comes across the body of Bella on the side of the road, not concealed. It looks as though she's fallen off her pushbike. Okay. She had severe facial injuries. Again, with these stories, I have read probably 10, you know, sort of detailed. I've even read some of the transcript. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing when you do research how you realize that there are so many sort of pieces to this puzzle and not one story covers every single angle. And what you do is you put lots and lots of information together. Okay. The police are called to the scene. Mm -hmm. Now, the injuries are interesting. In the first instance, there was no awareness that a firearm had been involved. Because she had severe lacerations to the front of her face.
1: Where was she shot?
3: Well, I'm not going to tell you that just yet.
1: Okay, okay.
3: This is very interesting. And it's kind of weird, so I'm trying to sort of take myself back to that period in history. It's, wow, it's 102 years ago. And the police, they call a doctor in and they're looking at the scene and weirdly... They find a vacant house nearby. This is kind of... I'd really love to explore this more. In this house, they store Bella's body overnight. Does that sound to you odd or...? Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they take it somewhere else like a mortuary or a, Yeah. That's kind of weird. The, the young police officer... The constable, his name was Alfred Hall. And he carried out a cursory sort of reconnoiter of the scene. On a fence nearby, he discovered blood on one of the crossbars. And this is when the story gets really interesting, Paul. He sees a deceased black bird lying on the ground. So he's got a dead bird, blood on the fence, a girl lying face down. She, It looks that she's had an accident. She's come off a push pushbike and she's died at the scene of severe head injuries. He feels he must have had a sleepless night. And being a very, very competent, conscientious, thoughtful police officer, the next morning at 6 a.m., he goes to this house where Bella is I was going to say resting but she's deceased. He washes her face. Is this story sounding weird, Paul? It's a little odd, yeah. It is odd, isn't it? I mean he, sometimes
1: I'm I'm thinking about the sort of the scope and the scale and the access to technology of a mm-hmm. of a very small village's police mm-hmm. force and I'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe they're having to jury-rig some stuff but
3: yeah, go on. Well, He washes her face Mm -hmm. and he discovers a bullet hole just beneath one of her eye sockets. It's a tiny, tiny entrance wound. Mm -hmm. But then he realizes that the back of her head is a large exit wound. So a bullet has traveled from... So she's obviously been hit in the front... Yeah,
1: and but are you saying that the lacerations on the face
3: disguised this uh, yeah, she, they, bullet hole first? Yeah, it, it, when they first, and there was a lot of blood, of course, and the blood mm. would be congealed. It'd be look, it'd be it'd be pretty grotesque. There could have even been you know dirt, pebbles, grass, okay. all sorts of things, sort of in, infused into the the front of her face. Mm-hmm. But once he cleans her up, he then gets the doctors back, and it's then. They realise that she has, in fact, been shot. Okay. And the theory is, it was within seven feet. But this bit of information is interesting because it is hotly contested in his in the in the the trial. Yeah. Now, there were also two young girls. And I'll just mention the two young girls in passing. In that they had seen Bella, and they had seen the the suspect, okay, and but but many 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 months later, when this went to trial, their 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 testimony uh, was was discounted, and the judge told the jury to ignore the two girls because they were basically, even though it's not disputed that they had seen the couple, huh. their evidence was not highly regarded Hmm. they got a they had a very very good description of the guy and, and more importantly they had a very very good description of the green bike which was extremely unusual seven months go by they had posters they had a big campaign it was well reported in the media they have a girl who's been shot on a quiet country lane quite frankly in the middle of literally nowhere On a warm summer's night, an extraordinary baffling crime. Then a coal loader is being dragged up the river in Leicester, and weirdly and incredibly, it's one of those moments in time where if this next thing that I'm about to tell you had not have happened, we may well not be talking about this case today. But a rope on this barge snags a portion of a green push bike. They pull the push bike up. They they knew that it was related to potentially this 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 murder. When they examined the push bike, the numbers on the bike, the red you know the sort of the serial numbers yeah had been filed off. Hang on. I say, yeah,
1: Why do, I didn't think bikes had serial numbers. Oh. I mean, you file the numbers off guns, not yeah, bikes. But, but, so, but
3: Back then, they had serial numbers. They right. had serial numbers in three places on the bike frame.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash acast and use code acast for 20%
3: off your first purchase.
1: Okay, so you buy a bike, it has serial numbers, Everything. Your, name, your name is registered it's to the It's registered.
3: They know. Okay, It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The gentleman concerned, he'd only filed off two of the numbers. Right. And up near the seat stem, they found. A number and after examining the number they they found out who'd bought the bike and the mystery suspect mm-hmm. was finally revealed and his name was Ronald Light and he was from a very very uh you know middle upper middle class family in terms of society he would have been regarded as you know from a very very you know good standing family and he was a maths teacher at a local school and he'd been an engineer he'd fought in the war and on march the 4th 1920 just after a week uh, you know of discovering the bike in the river they they arrested him and he completely denied everything. He just he, he just said, look, it's just not me. But when they explained the number on the bike, he then said, of course, oh, yes, oh, I do recall that bike. Yes, and I sold it. And, oh, who did you sell it to? And he said, well, you know, I just, I've got no idea. I just got sold it to some, you know, guy. And then once the media started to get involved, they then, there's this guy that actually... Describes the gentleman concerned Mm -hmm. and he's a witness that had seen him throw the bike into the river. So you can see that they're starting to finally get something together. Then the guy, this is so weird, there was a guy called Harry Cox and he'd actually repaired a distinctive green bicycle on the day Bella Wright was murdered. Huh. So then, they get Ronald Light to go into a you know how they do those parades, and like an identity parade. I wouldn't call it a parade. You no, mean a lineup? A lineup. That's it. <laughs> so, Paul. Anyway, so Harry Cox, who's the bike repairer, yeah, he picks Ronald Light out of the um, the lineup. And he said, That's the customer that I dealt with on the day. Interesting. Okay. Isn't that fascinating. So okay. and then of course, um, a guy called George Measure, he and his son in law, they also that was the uncle that she'd visited that night. You remember back at the house seven months prior? Mm-hmm. And the uncle had said this guy was sort of standing, you know, sort of a, a bit of, a bit away, but that he, the uncle and his son also identified Ronald Light. As the man who'd accompanied Bella home,
1: so that seems pretty. That seems pretty watertight. Am I it's wrong? It's
3: sounding really, really good. Then they, that, you know, I mentioned the two girls who were just, you know, I'm not going to say they were, they were sort of troublemakers, but you know, they just wanted a bit of notoriety. Mm-hmm. Now, the evidence is sort of really starting to grow, and they had so much circumstantial evidence, and then they found because it was a, it was a certain type of bullet the police officer when he'd gone back the next morning prior to um you know t- getting rid of the blood off her face mm-hmm. he went back to the scene i mean he was a bloody good police officer it's really it's bloody refreshing to think that you know i i don't like to use the term sort of a you know a village bobby but he was obviously he had a very very good Feeling for it's just a sense of how to sort of examine a crime scene. And and he's okay, get ready for this. A horse had walked past the scene between the murder and the next morning. The horse hoof, you know how they leave it like a, a prince? No, no, it had it had stood on a bullet on the oh, that's on a bullet. great. And the police officer. He 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 finds this 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 bullet. Now, I haven't been able to establish whether it was a full loaded bullet or whether it was a casing. That I don't know. But they realised that it had been fired from a pistol, and it it was looking really really strong, very airtight.
1: That is a that is some Sherlock Holmes it's shit brilliant. right there. It's oh. so
3: good. The whole... ah, uh, sorry. I think that's great. It's amazing. Yeah, There was also a theory, and this is one of those things where you start to get interesting, sort of divergent, but yet contradictory, yeah. you know, theories espoused. And one of them, it keeps coming back to the bird. Some people talk about the bird. Some people don't. I've heard two versions of the bird story. Firstly, we know the bird was deceased. It was a black bird, but one Report that I read say that overnight the blackbird had been eating away at Bella's face, okay, mm-hmm. which is interesting in that that could have perhaps sort of sort of given meaning to the lacerations on her on her face. Now I've seen ravens in England; they are big motherfucking birds, <laughs> and and you know they keep them in the Tower of London, Paul. Yes, yes. Do you know why? Uh...
1: Because they like it there?
3: I don't know. I've, I've actually seen them at the tower. They're there. So. They're there. They're in the cages. And they believe there's a, a, a story that has been sort of going on for hundreds of years. And it goes like this. If the ravens leave London, London will fall. They believe it'll be all over for London. So they actually employ... There's one beef eater that actually... And when I, of course, when I say beef eater, I don't mean a man that eats beef, do I?
1: No, you mean those um,
3: the That's the, the crazy costume, the weird. Well, yeah, the, the, the weird the hats. And, the hats, y- love it. Y- and one of these guys is actually permanently employed. His full-time job at the Tower of London is to look after the ravens. Did you know that? Yes, you good, <laughs> you good, Paul. <laughs> anyway, so okay, this is a very very big case. Imagine nineteen twenty, the war's over. Young girl, shot. Now, I think it's pertinent to talk about the suspect's past. And there are some things that I've read about him that are, let's just say, disturbing. Now, it was believed back then that, in fact, I don't even think they had the phrase thrill killer. Of course, in contemporary crime, as we see things today, we know that people kill people for fun. Yeah. We know that. We do. But it was not accepted as legal sort of law or thought or even to be considered that that would happen back then. But I guess, Paul, of course it did happen. Just not thought about, perhaps. Yeah. But this guy... Okay, let's talk about a few similarities between previous people we've discussed. Mm-hmm. One of them that seems to come up fairly often is arson. Would you not agree?
1: Where the person returns to the scene of the crime, yes. Yes, okay. absolutely.
3: But as a child, as an adolescent, as a teen, oh, lighting a, fires. You know,
1: yes, a sort of fetishistic fascination Correct.
3: with the actual Correct. act. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And... We know that our offender, Ronald Light, isn't that weird? Bit of a pun coming here. Bit weird. Light, lighting fires. No, I get it. Love it. He had been charged with lighting fires, but he'd also been also involved in various activities. Um, once he pulled a girl's dress up over her head, and he was also. Um, involved with the molestation of an eight-year-old girl Um, he was basically discharged from the navy his father it is alleged um possibly committed suicide whilst his son was fighting on the on the western front and then he lived with his mum. now i'm not saying of course you know don't crucify me listeners but it is a little bit of a thread coming through based on our previous stories about some some of our our worst offenders have lived with their mums. Um, That's the Norman Bates thing, right? Yeah, and also the guy, you know, Von Einem in the family in, in, in Adelaide. Yes, like yes. so many of them, you know, it's just, it's weird, um, but not, not yeah. Not a crime, but yeah. when you add that together with other things, mm-hmm. I don't know whether the jury would have been allowed to know this at the time, but here is something quite fascinating, is that the case was prosecuted by the then Attorney General. Now, that's a big thing. Yeah. And his defence counsel was Sir Edward Marshall Hall. Okay. We're talking the big league, and to this day eminent people who have really gone through and delved into this. No one knows how Ronald Light could afford Sir Edward Marshall Hall, who huh. was incredibly expensive.
1: Yes, yes. Uh,
3: I guess my, my my brain does think about, uh, you know, the notoriety, and perhaps he did it pro bono. I I don't know. But the trial went on and, you know, you only have to prove or even put a hint of reasonable doubt, Paul. Yes. And
1: Is that always the case? I mean, I know it's the case in terms of the actual letter
3: of the law, but does a jury always see it that way? Your mother, dearest Christine, Mm -hmm. was involved in a, a very big, Drug trial, right? Um, she was on the jury a few months ago, mm-hmm. and they found the the defendant, yeah, not guilty because they said there was reasonable doubt. Okay, that's all you need. Yeah, and interestingly, in this particular trial, and this is the part that I find fascinating and i've been toying this toing and froing with this bit of information but the the theory espoused by the eminent defense counsel yeah. was that there actually was a shooter who had shot the bird hence the blood on the fence where the yeah. bird may well have been perched mm-hmm. this person did not have a pistol he would have had a a rifle, hence the small entry, large exit wound. Okay? And it all came down basically to the dead bird and it had been an accidental shooting, yeah, possibly by a farmer or a poacher, realising that he'd shot the girl... He just vanished, of course. Well, I say vanished. Vanished within plain sight of everyone, but no one would have known. And he possibly, I say he, on the balance of probabilities, would have lived out his life with the trauma knowing that he'd killed this girl. Right. A theory that was put to the jury of the day, and the jury, within three hours and a few minutes, found... Ronald Light not guilty. Ha. Huh. He walked free. There's a photograph of him. Yeah. Looking elated. What do you think of that? What do I think of the not guilty? Yeah. I you can understand Paul why in court in law a jury is not allowed to know anything about one's priors. Okay? But surely we've I
1: think we've had this talk before. We have, but surely we
3: have. Uh, Yeah, okay, okay. Will you stop calling me Shirley, Paul? Sorry, um, Paul. I am definitely conflicted. I move to and fro between guilty and not guilty. I, I'm of the theory because there was no robbery, no, no tampering with the body, no, no sexual assault. Mm-hmm. I believe my theory is that he, the, the man charged, Ronald Light, Yeah. he was showing her his pistol for fun. He may have even... I mean, they're out in the country. He's out to impress her. It's a chance meeting. Maybe he shot the bird. And there's also a theory, Paul, that's quite fascinating. Some of the ballistics... Uh, sort of experts theorized and yeah. still do today that it's possible that it was a bullet that ricocheted. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. So, yeah, and I, I guess it's important coming back just briefly that the jury don't know anything about the priors because even though you may have priors for a certain crime mm-hmm. and you are being charged for that same type of crime, it's not, is it really fair... To sort of say, well, he's done three like that. It's on the balance of probabilities likely that he's done the fourth, but it's possible that he hasn't. Yes. So yes. there are people in this life that are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two major schools of thought. There are people that believe he did it, and a lot of people that believe he didn't. When they found him not guilty, the court erupted into a into just cheer. There was there was elation and clapping, and but people today also believe that it did have a lot to do with the class system. This girl came from a very much, uh, I hate to use the term, but I will because it's of the period, a very very low low. The father was a liter. It was a big family. She look. It's just a it's a it's a case of you know, Mm. um, people with privilege. uh, But but does that mean he's guilty or not guilty, I don't, I don't think that has any bearing on it. Um, he lived to a, a ripe old age. He died in the 1970s. The then superintendent of police, a couple of months after the trial, he allegedly received a letter that has never been verified from Ronald Light saying he had killed the girl, but it was an accident. And realizing the terrible gravity of the situation, he panicked, and over a period of months he basically, you know dismembered his push bike and threw it and the revolver into the river. So what about the lacerations? Possibly that's a good question. Maybe the bird? Mm. Bloody hell! But if the bird was doing that, oh, hang on a sec. Other okay. birds, other birds, other birds. It's still a dead bird, full bullet, found that had been trodden on by a horse walking by.
1: It all sounds so weird and convenient, like it's being written by a dime store novelist. I know, it's incredible. And, but Paul yeah. also
3: that if a horse walked past, surely the horse is not walking past without someone on its back. So what about that person? Yeah,
1: that's so enough.
3: that would then make me think maybe that another thing about this case is that's quite interesting is that the defence counsel, even though the offender had the same gun, same bullet, had bullets like all that sort of stuff, the defence simply said, "Oh, it's a very, very common bullet." And if this case happened today, there would have been a completely different method of forensic examination of the scene.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that this kind of thing wouldn't happen today, but the fact mm-hmm. is uh, nothing's changed. Women
3: are in trouble all the time. So it's, I mean, it's... <sighs> it's worthy of noting, Paul, also that yeah. in 1916 in the mm-hmm. United Kingdom, mm-hmm. the very first female police constable was sworn in. Really? In 1916, That's two fantastic. years after that, women got the vote. Right. So, hang not- on. So, a woman became a cop before women had the vote. Correct. Can you imagine how hard things would have been for that officer? Well, Paul, your mother, yeah, dearest, dearest Christine, mm-hmm. she suffered a level of misogyny, yeah, that was it was so bad, and that was 19 like early 80s.
1: I've tried to get Mum to open up, and she's opened up in our two-parter on the podcast and mm. for Electric Blue, but she's she doesn't want to talk about it anymore, which is a real shame because mm.
3: yeah, it's a real and she shame. found out. Um, you remember um, the the wonderful policewoman that I worked with in the first book, Sue. Sue reached out to Christine just two days ago, mm-hmm. and Sue, I know you're listening, and I'm I'm just going to touch on something very briefly because it reminded me talking about police officers, female in the, in the police force, but Sue reached out and as the listeners know, Christine, Sue and a group, they were the first general duties police officers in New South Wales. There was a small class of them and one of their lovely, lovely colleagues, one of the lovely girls in Christine's class uh, passed away a few days ago.
1: Well, I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Make sure you join us at the end of the week for Loose Units, Loose Ends. In the meantime, head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units and get in touch and we will see you soon for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone.
2: Hey,
0: it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.